Last week we talked about how to love those inside the church, how to love those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, after last week, someone could walk out going, you know, I pray for people in my small group, I cook for people, I, you know, I, I hate what's evil. Okay, check. Got that one down. If you thought that was easy, then you might find this passage this morning a bit more difficult because now Paul goes, he transitions from talking about loving those inside the church to loving those outside the church. Paul now turns to those who are perhaps unkind to us. Paul starts talking about those who are not like us. Common experience tells us it's harder to love these kinds of people. Common experience, common sense tells us they don't always treat us with decency. Common sense and common experience tells us they're not always polite. They don't always use good language. People outside the church make bad decisions. They say hurtful things. They may even treat you with contempt. Paul's command this morning is this. You must bless these people. This is where Christianity hits the road. The rubber hits the road, so to speak. You don't just tolerate them. You're not just called to um, send a prayer their way. You're called to bless them. That's kind of hard to do. And here's the one thing further. Since you hold fast to what is good in Christ, since you hate what is evil, we talked about last time, last time since your love is genuine, it should be your heart's desire to... Bless people. It should be your pleasure to bless them. The text we're going to read this morning is one that I have no doubt that Satan would love for you to ignore. This text this morning is one that I have no doubt that Satan himself would love for you to just kind of put in that corner where you don't use. Because what we're getting ready to talk about this morning, if we as a church fulfill these commands... It is the very power of the kingdom of God overcoming the powers of evil. So with no further ado, if you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, give you time to turn there. Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. And this is what the Apostle Paul, speaking in the Holy Spirit, has to say. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lonely. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For so by doing you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord, for those who are affected by these hurricanes, we commit them to your care. We know that you are the shepherd of souls. We also know, as as, as Brother Stephen says, that you govern this world in your providence and you are in control. 
We trust You to do what is right. And Lord, we know that You're Lord of the storm. But Lord, we also know that many of these folks coming north, as Stephen said, as, as Ken said, they're, they're, not, they're not believers. A lot of them are. A lot of them aren't pleasant people. A lot of them are darkened people. But Lord, we know that You are rich in mercy. And we know that You're going to use us to deliver the best news in the world and to change them. When we ask this morning, show us what it means to bless people. Show us the meaning of blessing. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name. Amen. You may be seated. I had a friend in Baton Rouge who was really into theology. He wanted to be a teacher of God's Word. He wanted to be a Sunday school teacher. Really intellectual, logical, black and white kind of personality. But smart. And I asked if he ever considered being a pastor because he was, you know, he just really, really loved to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And, you know, I asked him if he wanted to be a small group leader. Or if he'd ever given thought to doing pastoral ministry. And I'll never forget what his response was. He said, no, I don't think I have the gift of empathy, is what he said. I don't have the gift of empathy. This guy thought that empathy was optional. This guy treated empathy like it was a spiritual gifting, like speaking in tongues. And this is kind of what I reminded him, and this is the only reason I feel, one, you don't even know, Lance, but two, I told him this, therefore I feel like I, I can tell you this. As those who have been indwelled by the Spirit of the living God, as those who have been changed by Jesus, who don't operate according to the commands of this world, empathy isn't some gift given to the few. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit to all who are born again. You're called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. A Christian isn't just someone who is blessed. Paul says a Christian is someone who actually blesses others. Let's read verses 14 and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not, pers- do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I'll admit to you today, this morning, as your pastor, I'll admit it's often very difficult for me to weep for people when it's obvious that their pain and their hurt is simply the consequence of their own bad decision. I'll just be honest with you. It's just kind of one of those, you dug your own grave. Kind of had it coming, didn't you? I'll admit that it's often very difficult for me to weep for people whose attitude is awful. I'll admit that it's often very difficult for me to weep for people who are self-centered and have no love in their heart. I don't have empathy for them. It's hard for me to empathize with people like that. What comes easier to Avi is to show kindness to decent, hard-working believers is what comes easy to me. But that's not what Paul says. At least, that's not what really the totality of Scripture says. But here Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You know how if I if I could describe what my natural tendency is, let's just let's just let's just describe. I think I found this really 
I was watching uh, the news this week, and I went, oh my gosh, that's how I, how I operate if I wasn't uh, born again. My fleshly tendency is to treat my friends like the United Nations and to treat people who are nasty to me like North Korea. Oh, I've got to hear this one. Well, right now, if you're not aware, there's a huge standoff between America and North Korea. Kim Jong-un, their dictator and maniacal leader, is sitting on like 50 kilo, kilo tons of nukes. And what's going on right now is kind of more or less just a back-and-forth game of showing force, I guess is just a basic way of explaining it. We release a statement. He releases a statement. We send ships and jets into his airspace showing him who's boss and then he lights up a nuke and sends it into the air. Then we go back to our friends and tell everyone else in our club why we don't need to send anything or be talking to him. If left to ourselves, that's more or less how we want to treat mean people. Is it not? We go back to our buddies and tell everybody how we don't need to be playing around with them and then we go home and we build up our defenses in case they come back at us. You see, that's great diplomacy. That's a horrible church. That lady or that guy who said something real toxic to you at work, Christ isn't calling you to shoot a missile across their desk. Christ is not calling you to get on Twitter or Facebook and really get, kind of give them a little dig. You know, Make sure that you know, they see that you, you know what you're talking about. Christ isn't calling us to diplomatic relations. We're not sitting on nukes. He's not asking you to go back to your United Nations club and rally people against that person. He's asking you to lower your defenses and He's asking you to bless your enemy. Man, how, how countercultural is that? Wait a minute, that's in the Bible? I didn't see that. It's right there. Bless those who persecute you. That's kind of hard to do. Can we be honest for a sec? God is calling us to some difficult things. The only way we can actually do it is if we have love. And the only way we have love is by looking to a God who did some really loving things for some really horrible people, and that was you. Now, the only way a sinner is capable of doing something as radical as that is if they believe in the gospel, because the, the gospel itself is radical. Just made a little plug for Ken there. Which brings us to the word bless. What does it mean to bless? What does it mean to bless somebody? I think today we have a skewed definition of that word because we think that it means one of two things. One, in the South, you can just kind of say, yeah, bless, bless their heart. <laughs> Which sometimes, ironically, means you don't really like them. So sometimes we just use it as a kind of a trivial little, eh, bless their heart. Or sometimes we mean it to mean physical blessings. Like, you know, you're at a barbecue and you're like, man, that's a really nice car. You're like, blessed. I think today we have a very skewed view of blessing because if you look at the Bible, blessing means much more than owning something or being given something. The beginning of Genesis, I want to just take two minutes. I noticed something. When I was reading Genesis... 
the word bless is mentioned three times in the first chapter. It's actually in the last, the third time is mentioned in chapter 2, verse 3. So in the first opening discourse of Genesis, blessing is mentioned three times. And I'm going to read each time. Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. Number 2, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. Number 3, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He'd done in creation. Did you notice that each time God blesses something or someone, it has to do with its purpose and design in His work? Today when we talk about being blessed, we just mean receiving stuff. But in the Bible, blessing isn't just about receiving gifts from God, it's about doing the work of God and resting in the work of God. You catch that? (coughs) Blessing isn't just something you get, it's something you do. When God blesses us in Christ, we are to rest in His work. But just like in the garden today, when God blesses us, He sends us, just like in Adam and Eve, on a global mission to represent Him throughout the earth. To be blessed is to bless. One Christian scholar over in Turkey, he described blessings as this. He just wrote a big paper on it. He described blessing as this, the bestowing of privilege, right, responsibility, or favor upon some portion of the creation by God or by one who has been blessed. To be blessed is to bless. He goes on, in relation to humanity, to be blessed is to be one of God's own people with all the benefits that that it brings. In other words, the blessing of God is His relational presence in one's life. In other words... As God defines it, as Paul defines it, the truest blessing in the Bible is the one that brings someone to a living relationship with Christ. That means a life with riches, a life with friends, a life with good education, a life with good job. Without Jesus is not a blessed life. For the person with few possessions who has almost nothing, but who has found Christ, they're blessed. That means God has called us not simply to be kind to our enemies. God has called us to wish salvation on them. Because if we're really wanting to bless them, if blessing is to be found in Christ, to be kind to someone, to truly love someone, is to wish them to be saved. Now, if being being in God's presence is to be blessed, then being cast out of His presence is to be accursed. When Satan and the angels rebel, they're cast out from heaven and accursed. When Adam and Eve disobey God, they're cast out of the garden and accursed. The ultimate difference between a blessing and a curse is the good abiding presence of God. What's Paul say? He says, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel other than the one I've given to you, let him be accursed. So in light of the gospel, the supreme form of kindness and love on this earth that you could show someone is the kind that wishes for them to spend eternity with the living God. To be blessed. That means that the worst form of hatred that you could hate on somebody is to wish them to spend eternity apart from the living God. 
And every time you return insults and hostility to your enemies, every time you shoot missiles back at them, instead of loving them and empathizing with their weaknesses, what you're saying is you can go to hell. But Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless. And that's why he even says, do not curse them. Don't read that and like, well, I don't say, I don't cuss. No, that's not what he's saying. Bless and do not curse them. Bless them. Wish salvation on them. Want them to come into a relationship with Christ. Spend your time with them. Preach the gospel to them. Love them. Bless them. Holding fast to what is good means rejoicing when evil people find a good Savior. And hating what is evil isn't just hating the liberal media. <laughs> I know some people are like, you gotta hate what's evil. Yeah, that's right, I vote a Republican. No. Hating what's evil means hating the work of the devil to blind people and capture their souls. Hating what is evil means mourning over the reality that many will perish in hell. Many people may die in this storm coming this way and go to hell. I hate that. Do we hate it enough? Do we love Christ enough to share with someone the good news of Jesus? Verse 16 through 17 actually spells out the attitude we should have. Live in harmony with one another, Paul says. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That means a truly wise person, hear me now, a truly wise person will never call attention to his or her own wisdom. Which means, of course, that there's no such thing as a wise person who is not also a humble person. When we believe in the gospel, we have the assurance that we are the elect of God and that He has chosen us for the foundation of the world. You can, you can take that to the bank. But the same gospel also says, you're no better than anyone else and what you have is purely by the grace of God. The gospel is a narrow path that only the humble can take. Paul says four things. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Let's just... Nobody talks like that anymore. Don't, don't be arrogant. Associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hard truth here, all right? Hard truth, get ready for it. Since I've been here, and, and let me finish before I say this, okay? I want to be careful and make my words exact. Since I've been here, people have been telling Kelly and I, see our babies, you know, and they're like, hey, they're, you know, they're cute. They love them. And then they'll go on and tell us about They'll tell us about school systems. And they'll say things like, hey, stay on the east side of the county. Don't go on that west side. Or they'll say things like, hey, don't go to this school. You don't want to send your kids there. And let me be clear before I say this. One thing is obvious to me in Newton County. Not everyone lives in harmony with everyone else. Not everyone associates with the lowly. And many are very wise in their own sight. Amen. Now, I want to be careful here. Just because you care about your safety and your child's education doesn't make you an arrogant person. Let's just get that out of the way. Amen. You better believe I'm going to be going for the best school. That's not my point. 
The point is, we need to be very careful, church, in the way we articulate ourselves in these matters because the way you speak of others who are different than you, the way you speak about people who are in a different area or neighborhood than you, speaks volumes about your love or lack of love for them. It's okay to not want to go to a certain part of the county if there's a lot of crime there. That's, that's just called common sense. But you better be careful because I'm going to tell you, I would say, I would venture to say almost half the people who venture, who feel compelled to tell me what side of the county, say it with a little, I don't like how they, how they say it. You can say it and be a Christian. You can also say it and be a bigot. Let's be careful the way we say that. Because I'm going to tell you, I went to that Eastside Newton football game. My goodness. I thought I went back to the 60s. Now, let me be clear on that, too. This isn't, just, this isn't a sermon to just harp on one thing. People live where people live. Just because you go to a school with black or whites doesn't make you a racist. But we can, we can work on how we say things. Can we not? You are not an arrogant racist because you choose to live in a nice neighborhood. You are not an arrogant racist because, like me, you're going to want your kids going to a nice school. But you can come off pretty arrogant when you say, hey, don't go to that side, and then just leave it at that. Why can't we go, hey, you know, just so you know, um, we go over there sometimes. Just, there's some areas there you might want to look out for. How about we do it like that? Instead of telling people that, well, you know, if somebody comes in my car, I'm going to bowl them with my car. I heard that. At a church. Let's not go bowling with cars. Let's love people and use discernment. That hurricane that's coming in, Irma, you could fit like two or three Floridas inside of it. And the chances are good that it's going to affect some really nasty, selfish people. It's, it's, chances are really good that not everyone in Florida is saved. So chances are pretty good that when it makes its way through, it's going to be displacing people who may not know the Lord. And wouldn't it be neat that if my prayer could be not just that God protects people from the storm. My prayer should be that maybe it affects some people who need to see the power of God and repent. When we send this money that we're giving, we're not just sending it so that people can rebuild their lives. We're sending it so that we send with it our prayers and go, God, do something with this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Associate with the lowly. There's going to be some lowly people coming out. Associate with them. You know what? You have a chance tonight at 7 o'clock to go and see who comes up and just start a conversation with them. One of my favorite verses is Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. It's impossible to fully grasp the gospel without blessing and cursing. In heaven we will sing in eternity, Worthy is the Lamb of God. We will spend heaven forever with Him, lavishing praise upon a cursed and resurrected risen Lamb. We will live in the daily truth that He was cursed so that we could be blessed. 
In Deuteronomy, there is this consistent theme of God blessing those who obey and cursing those who disobey. Then in light of the Gospel in the New Testament, we come to realize that nobody obeyed except for one. And that it's only through His obedience that we are restored. It's only through His obedience that we have righteousness imputed or accounted or reckoned to us so that therefore we live as Christians with a constant reminder that we got what we got based on somebody else doing the right thing, not us. We live in the grace of God. And that's what spurs us to obedience. Starting in verse 17, Paul explains what we're to do in response to evil. What happens when someone does eat? Some, that's, I think some of y'all might be wondering, okay, Avi, I get that, but um, I've had some people do some nasty stuff to me or my family. This is what Paul says. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That means fighting fire with fire is not honorable, according to Paul. No one in this room, here's a powerful statement to think about, no one in this room is allowed to, quote-unquote, get back at someone in light of what Jesus did for you. The Gospel has eradicated that kind of worldly, fleshly, self-centered behavior. We have no ground for getting back at people. That really insensitive text that your mother sent you, that really mean thing that your brother did to you, that really, that's something they didn't say. We talked about this before. Some of the biggest wounds we have are from people that are in our blood. Whatever evil they threw at you, you are to repay it with kindness. I'll be honest with y'all. Um, at my old church, there was this secretary who'd been there for like 23 years and of course she wanted everyone to know how things were to run you know she was nice if you were nice to her y'all know who I'm talking about y'all know the kind of people we're talking about and I, I mean I remember sometimes it would be I'm just, let's just be honest I mean I'm not I'm not preaching at y'all I'm preaching with y'all it's hard for me sometimes to walk by that road and just not go, not tell her off. Look, lady, we're in a church. Bag yourself. My goodness. I mean, sometimes don't you have those moments where you just go, look, I'll be, I'm not being mean. I'm just telling how it is. I mean, we all, when, when, I'm, when, I, when, when Paul is saying these things, throw yourself in there like a sinner. Because if, if you're a human being, you don't have to think too hard or too long to go, hey, I know, that, 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 I could have used that one when I uh, talked to blank or I met blank. These verses are not just abstract. Paul wants you to take these, hide them in your heart, so the next time that someone lips off at you, you go, i got to repay him with kindness. And your flesh goes, no you don't. And then the Gospel says, look what Jesus did. That's how it works. I'm, I'm not capable of living in this world, even at a church. Even at a church. I know this may shock you, there are sinners that work in a church. I know, it's unbelievable. Never would have thought. 
I'm not capable of, of living anywhere or working anywhere, existing anywhere on this earth without holding the gospel in my heart because anywhere I go, I'm going to be tempted to get people back for what they did in me because guess what? The world's full of nasty people. Amen. But my love is genuine and I love what is good and I associate with the lowly and I overcome evil with what? Love. Someone might say, okay, Avi, I get that, but you don't know my aunt. I mean, I get that, Avi, but I'm just going to tell you. There's a, there's a country music song. I'm trying to think of it. I don't want to ruin the sermon. I'll continue. <laughs> it's a really good one, too. You can learn a lot by country music. I'm telling you. Sometimes what not to do. Um, but, you know, if Paul, some people could be reading this going, yeah, I, I mean, I get that, but Paul's kind of an optimist, didn't he? Well, look at verse 18. He says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know what that tells me? Paul was a realist. He knew there's some people you're just not going to get along with. Insofar as it depends on you. But the one thing we can't do is fight fire with fire. Here's what Paul says. This, listen, verse 19, before I read it, I just want to, before I read it, think about this. The, the wrath of God in hell actually has a practical application for Christians today. I'm going to read it. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Now what's he mean there? Well, what Paul is not saying is, hey, whatever you meet difficult people, just take comfort in the fact that they're going to burn in hell one day. That's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is, you may live in an unjust world. You may live in a world where bad guys win and good guys lose. You may live in a world where people do nasty things and they mistreat you and life stinks. But don't think for a second that there's not ultimate final justice. Don't think for a second that God won't repay evil. Yes, you will be persecuted on earth. But God is righteous to avenge those who mock Him and you should take comfort in that. In the words of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. You've got to know and believe that God is going to do the right thing at the end of the day. When God asks us to bless others, He's not asking us to abandon justice. He's asking us to leave the justice to Him. Because justice will be served either on the cross or in hell. The love of God on the cross is our assurance that our debt was paid and justice was served. But the wrath of God in hell is our assurance that God is going to deal with evil one way or another. That means my soul doesn't despair. When I see terrorists rolling around Middle Earth, I'm about to say Middle Earth. <laughs> Did y'all see that page where I was called? That? Right now, if you look it up right now on the, on the FBC page, I am Obit Todd. <laughs> That's probably where it came from. I just ruined the moment. Um, so when people, when I watch, when I flip on Fox News, CNN, and I see t- 
terrorists rolling around the Middle East, chopping off heads, doing evil things in the name of Allah or whatever God they've concocted. When I see corruption at the highest levels of government, when I see social injustice, when I see people killing the unborn, it breaks my heart and I mourn, but I don't despair because I know at the end of the day, justice will be served and the Lord will be avenged. And that's enough to keep me from picking up my own sword. That's enough to keep me from repaying evil with evil. Justice is the Lord's, therefore you and I have no right to exact our own justice. We have to leave it, well, next chapter, next week. My brother Stephen's going to explain why God put civil government in our world. That's actually something God established. I've been asked before, what about ISIS, Avi? I've been asked this quite a bit. What about ISIS? What about uh, Osama bin Laden? What about the Nazis? Can I hate them? Y'all ever thought about that? What about the real evil ones? I mean, the, like the ones that just kind of like everyone kind of agrees they're just, they're bad. If the wrath of God that was meant for me was poured out on Jesus and satisfied on the cross in perfect justice, in perfect love, then I can pray this prayer for evildoers. I can pray this. Lord, I pray that You would save these enemies of the cross for Your glory, just like You did Saul, who became Paul, just like You did me, for Your name's sake, please save them, if it be Your will. But if it not be Your will, I pray that Your power and Your wrath would rain down on them so hard and that Your justice would be upheld and that You would strike evil down. For your name's sake, please do that. Do you notice how I just prayed for salvation and justice? I prayed for both. I prayed that God would save evil doers, and I also prayed, if it not be His will, that He would send them to hell justly, because of course, God is just. Can we pray that prayer? Are you able to pray for evil people? Because if you're not, you have not love in your heart. Verse 20, I want to end with this. Verse 20 is really radical. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. You get a chance to do that tonight at 7 o'clock if you want. I mean, I'm not saying they're your enemies, but people you don't know who may be an unbeliever. He says this, If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. This is, our, this is our weapon in gospel warfare. It's not guns, it's not tanks, it's not missiles. We need those in our country, and, and Stephen's going to explain next week why God has established civil government to protect us. But that's not how the church operates. Our warfare, our weapons in this war are kind words and open hearts and love. That's how missiles, tanks, guns will defeat an army. But only love will conquer true darkness. Wouldn't it be amazing for someone to spit venom? Wouldn't, just, wouldn't this be amazing? Join with me in, in just kind of thinking about this. Wouldn't it be cool if some people came into Covington 
seeking shelter from the storm, hating Christians, and then someone loved on them and showed them kindness, and then God saved them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Someone who, like Saul, went out breathing threats and speaking venom against Christians, tweeting, putting on Facebook how they didn't like people, were sappy, how can you believe in the Bible, whatever, and then they came face to face with the love of God. And God changed them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil, say it with me, with good. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Think about this. I want to end with this. When Jesus returns, North Korea and all of its ballistic missiles will be annihilated. When Christ returns, America will no longer be the leading power in the world. When Jesus comes back, every tornadic hurricane force wind will be stopped. At Judgment Day, every world leader will bow before the King of Kings. And the one coming in on a white horse, the one we call Alpha and Omega, the one we call the Rock of Ages, is a slain and crucified Lamb who conquered the world through love. Jesus conquered our rebellious hearts with love. And He's asking us to conquer the world with that very same gospel. Will we bless others as those who have been blessed? And if we don't know how to bless, God has given us a blueprint. We go to the gospel, and in light of the love shown us, we have no problem blessing those who hate us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are infinite. You are eternal. We know that nothing moves or takes place without Your control and without Your supervision. That gives us comfort, but it also brings us to plead for those who do not know You because we know there is a time when justice will be served. It makes us want to run to the cross where Jesus quenched the wrath of the Father. Lord, in light of that love, in light of that blessing, in light of the curse You became on our behalf, we dare not curse our enemies. And we have nothing but love and blessing to shed on them. All these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.